technology should be making the roads safer. And a lot of fleets are willing to spend money because they actually save money by not being in accidents and their drivers are being coached to drive safer. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after of some of the world's most effective transformation processes with your host, Paul French. I'm Todd Holbrook. On this episode of Transform It Forward, Paul chats with Michael Nalepka, the general manager of Video Protects at JJ Keller. Offering video-based solutions for drivers and fleets, Video Protects is bringing the science of video telematics to the transportation market. Having joined JJ Keller this past January, Michael has had an extensive career in the transportation technology field. He's held roles at Procon Analytics and PeopleNet, helping to drive innovation and cutting-edge product development in the transportation industry throughout his career. In this episode, Paul and Michael discuss how video technology and AI are transforming to keep drivers, fleets, and highways safe. Let's hear what they had to say. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. In preparing for this, I, I did a little research and had no idea that, you know, it's like 320, there's a billion miles a year provided by registered trucks. And, and we take so for granted that, you know, delivery to our local stores and, and delivery between points of, of shipping and receiving and all these types of things that it's just such an enormous market. How has, um, how has truck-based transportation changed uh, since COVID? Uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, in many ways, to, to begin with, the, the transportation space basically saved our country. When everything was shut down, the trucking industry kept going and really uh, rescued us. And they were there delivering all the goods and services we needed during that time. And as a result of that, uh, it's interesting that, you know, rates have gone up. Uh, they're getting, they're making, um, they're making a little bit better of an income now. And there's, there's actually much more competition and a lot more capability to be able to deliver. And, you know, now that we've got the, particularly the shortage and the, um, the backup in the supply chain, the idea that you're getting goods and services of things made in the U.S. is, is absolutely critical at this time. But uh, transportation has been a very integral part of keeping our country together in the last, you know, close to two years now. But it's interesting in that time, we, we discovered a whole bunch of things that I, you know, somebody like you who's been in the industry a long time, the layperson felt the driver shortage and felt the compression and regulation and felt the, you know, the, the impact of infrastructure and things like that. How is that reprioritizing the way the industry thinks about itself and how consumers think about the industry? Well, the, you know, the, the industry itself, particularly, let's just focus on the last two years, it has compressed the time it takes to get somewhere. It has changed routing. It has changed the dynamics of fleets and rates to get things delivered. So that's a major change. You know, the whole supply chain disruption has caused a, a, a huge ripple effect in transportation where they basically had to reinvent themselves when it comes to going. It's not just point A to point B anymore. 
to be able to be successful and profitable as a commercial carrier today, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to dynamically change almost in real time. So that is that has driven the need for more and more technology to be able to multi-stop, have multiple drivers, meet the compliance regulatory issues that come up from the Department of Transportation, et cetera, uh, hours of service. So it really has changed it from end to end in transportation. And we've had to, on the commercial side, adjust to that in virtually in real time. And so talk a little bit about that. So, so when you, when you look at, uh, you know, the, the variables that are a part of that business are enormous, right? Because you think about um, how rate sensitive we all are, right? Sometimes the elasticity of shipping means, yeah, maybe I don't want that, or, or, or maybe I'll wait till another time in order to buy it. It's the supply chain impacts. It's the, the regulation. And, and one of the ones that I think we all felt was, you know, the hazardous material certification um, and how important safety was and how much that came to the forefront. You guys are really focused on that part of the business. How is technology changing that piece? So it, technology is consistently on a regular basis dialing up. You're talking about, let's start with regulatory first. You know, I work for J.J. Keller. We are the largest safety and compliance organization for transportation in North America. And we've been around for 65 years. And everything to do with the regulations around what the driver does, what the fleet does, what, what are your compliance, all your compliance standards for on the road, uh, in the back office for reporting. All of that is the area of specialization for, for J.J. Keller. And very fortunately for us, we've had you know, this deep infrastructure in place for so many years. So fleets look to us for us to tell them what, you know, what's the latest and greatest. We have a very high percentage of all of the, it's called the book. There's four of these published books that J.J. Keller puts out on a regular basis that almost every large truck in the country has a copy of that with all the regulations that a driver needs to reference. So we keep up with that constantly and are constantly updating that. We are a publishing company in addition to being a you know, we're, we're more of a technology company today, but on the, in the area of hazmat and safety, yeah, those rules change on a regular basis. So we're in the position of providing that virtually in real time. We talk to and know and have accounts with and customers of all the major fleets, big and small, but particularly the large fleets in the country. And us knowing at J.J. Keller what the latest hazmat and safety regulatory compliance issues are is absolutely critical for fleets. So, you know, they are not out of compliance because they're out of compliance. It costs some money. So it's our job to make sure that they are in compliance and, you know, being safe on the road. And so much of, you know, the value of technology and the embedded systems that are now as a part of these trucks. I mean, I, I'm a certain vintage and my dad ran a, a trucking concern 35 years ago when it was, you know, just the very early days of telematics, like super early. And, and now you look at how they can keep track in real time and we can all look exactly where our package is and the moment it'll be delivered. I mean, I would imagine there's huge safety implications and, and reporting capabilities that come from what you guys are doing in terms of 
keeping track of logs and, and you know, driver attentiveness and, and those types of things. Yeah, and it's not just logs, actually. It's called hours of service or electronic logging. It, we, we call them ELDs. That is a product that JJ Keller sells, our ELD logging devices and uh, through our Encompass line. But logs are mandatory. All uh, CDL fleets, uh, CDL meaning commercial driver's license fleets that are class eight are required to have an electronic hours of service. So it's the paper logs are gone now. There's no more cheat sheets, perhaps. That's what people used to lovingly call them because they were manually done, right? But now everything's electronic. It is in real time. So if you pull over for a stop, it's automatically logging that. And it's up to the driver to and the fleet to correspond that information correctly. You know, you can't drive more than 11 hours in a day. There's 11-hour stop rule, right? And there's all kinds of rules and regulations around how far you can drive before you can take a break. How long can you drive and, and not have slept? Even though there's an 11-hour stop, you're expected to sleep, right, and to have rest. And all of those things and keeping up with that in real time is a huge challenge. Because, you know, honestly, it's not just federal. A lot of states have their own regulatory, too. So it, they all blend together, and it's quite complicated, but we have to make it easy for the driver and the fleets, which is, that's what we do. And that's, there's other ELD and logs or organizations that do the same thing, so we're not the only one. So the technology around uh, vehicles, let's just put it in a broad, broad sense of it. Like you said, 30 years ago, we were just now, back then, just cracking into it back in the, in the 80s and the, in the 90s. It started with telematics, which was knowing where your truck was all the time. GPS, that was a big deal. Then it went to enterprise transportation software or uh, transportation management software is another term for it. Too. So you know on the back office from end to end, from order to cash, everything that's going on. But that wasn't enough. And fleets wanted to know not only where my trucks are, but who's the driver? What's the load? You know, where have they been? When did they stop? Where did they get fuel? Are they out of route? All of these things that were concerns of the industry for many, many years have been addressed in a number of ways. Out of routing when it comes to geofencing. So, for example, if you have a, a certain route that your trucks run, they call them lanes. So if you have a lane that you're running on a regular basis for a number of trucks, you can actually geofence that route, which would give you, you'd know immediately if one of your drivers was out or out and left the freeway and went five miles off another direction. So those type of things, being able to know in real time where your vehicle is, who the driver is, when did they stop, when did the load get delivered, et cetera. All of these things come into play to have a profitable trucking company. So I have to say this, technology has come so far now today that e even a small trucking company of 10 or 15, let's say, Class A trucks, they can almost be, a, or even better, comparatively to compete against the large, super large fleets because 
technology has gotten to be so powerful and a lot of it is not expensive anymore. So it levels the playing field. If you're a small trucking company, you can compete against the large carriers today because there's, you know, there's load boards, there is tracking, you know, there is not just tracking shipment, but you know, where's, where's the vehicle right now? When's it going to arrive? So you would ask some of those questions. Today, any of us get a FedEx delivery or we get something from Amazon. That's kind of the consumer perspective on it. But from the fleet perspective, and they're delivering a full truckload or a partial truckload, that's not necessarily, an, you don't go to Amazon for that. You got to go to the fleet back office and to their portal. And those have become very sophisticated today, even for the small fleets. And uh, technology is driving that forward. It's, it's making it faster, cheaper, better. And there's a lot of robust competition in many of these areas. So if you're a small trucking company, you're getting in the business, you're probably at the best time ever to jump in and to be profitable. But you've, you're going to have to be sharp. You just don't get in a truck and drive. You've got to know technology today, which is really attached at the hip to transportation. You said a couple of interesting things to tie together early, earlier on. You said you, you made reference about how it was so valuable, both for the truck side and for the driver side, you know, making it easy for them. And then as you talk about how the importance of the technology, it's, you know, 60 years ago when, when you guys were founded, technology was really expensive and people were really cheap, right? So it was easy to, you know, kind of throw people at the problem. Now, the combination of those two things, you know, there's quite a lot of turnover in the industry, how important is technology for driver satisfaction and for simplicity and, and things like that with regards to those small trucking firms so they don't spend all of their time and money replacing folks and turning people over? Like you say, technology was very, very expensive at first. The trailblazers came in and the early adopters and the small fleets really didn't have the uh, resources to to be there at that level well they threw like you say they threw human capital at it people and processes but i've seen this transformation particularly over the last 20 years where with more and more and more automation that is taking the redundant worst processes out like for a back office for example you, you know used to be a mountain of paper at a trucking company, right? Delivery tickets, billing, bills of lading, all these different things, right? Shipments. Well, now uh, virtually everything is either scanned or it's electronic. And so it is. it has created really good workflow processes to help to automate, which is good. That's why we want, that's why we can get information instantly because uh, virtually everything's automated today. You know, you don't sign for anything when there's a delivery practically anymore. It's all just drop it off. It was dropped off by Amazon, for example. Yeah, they send you a picture. Right. I'll get something on my smartphone telling me there's a delivery and it's right at my front door. I didn't even know it. That's where we're at today. But but how important is that? Is technology to drive that for for the back office and for profitability and for customer satisfaction? It is top drawer it is not is it's issue one the customer's satisfaction you live or die on that right as you can see if you get bad reviews on amazon you can go south pretty quick 
but on the driver side, uh, it's still a challenge. The trucking industry still has a massive turnover problem with drivers. There's been a there was a driver shortage for many many years. It's still a challenge today, but I think the biggest issue today in for drivers and for fleets actually is that a driver can come in and walk out the door after three or four months, after a couple of weeks, and go to another trucking company, and it's called the revolving door syndrome or the turnover rate. You would be stunned to know today, and maybe some of the listeners don't don't realize it because people I've spoken with, their minds are blown when I tell them this, but, and I won't say any particular fleet's name, but it's very common knowledge that the major fleets and even a lot of the smaller ones can have up to 100 or 150% turnover of their drivers every year. So let's just take, if I had a thousand trucks, it's not odd to, in today's world that you could have 80 or, or 90 or 100 percent or more of that whole fleet driver fleet turnover every year. So think about it. You got a thousand trucks, you're losing a thousand drivers every year, and you're hiring a thousand drivers every year. It's, it's a revolving door. And why is that? It is because a lot of it's got to do with technology, which is good. Technology allows trucking companies to offer better incentives. I can drive closer to home so I don't have to go in this route or that route. So you're constantly trying to one-up each other, right? I'll give you a $5,000 bonus if you come over. Or maybe the driver just gets frustrated with the fleet or doesn't like somebody at the fleet. They'll just say, I'm out of here. And they, can go, they know they can go get a job tomorrow. So it, the simplicity, I guess, if you're saying it, of actually being able to find another job if you're a good driver, you're a good driver, you can get a job immediately today. So they're in demand, but the turnover's high. So that's the challenge for, for fleets today is to, how do you keep, how do you retain drivers? The retention question and so, you know, there's a number of methods there to retain them. And that kind of overlaps then into the whole video category where you have, uh, this, it's my particular area of expertise as general manager for Video Protects at J.J. Keller, is I've been involved in the video technology world for safety systems, shall we say, since 2014. So, you know, I'm coming up on seven or eight years here of, I almost say I'm the only person, there's a lot of folks in this, but, but I would call myself one of the tips of the spear of knowing the value of video technology, how it's used, what it costs, you know, what's the value proposition for fleets versus drivers, et cetera. So it is a huge plus for fleets. In fact, if a fleet today doesn't have a forward-facing video camera recording system on their large trucks, they are one accident away from a nuclear lawsuit. Yeah, so in that case, you know, the, 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 the value of the video is more around risk management than it is around changing the driver profile or the expectations about how they're going to deliver service. It is making sure that if it if if it's some you know unfortunate or 
avoidable accent, there isn't a nuclear, or there's at least some defense to prosecution at that point, right? Let's split it into two into two categories: the camera f- facing the road, recording everything that the driver sees, everything in front of the truck of about 130 degrees, 140 degree angle, recording all the time. If there is a any type of accident or anything that's happened, um, perhaps there's an injury, and very, very unfortunately, if there is a, a fatality, if it's not that driver's fault, if it was a multi-car pileup that that driver had nothing, it wasn't his fault at all, that's the whole premise, and that's what's been driving the video technology. That's what really started it 10 to 15 years ago was to be able to exonerate the fleet, to take the massive lawsuit where you can't, you, you don't have any proof that your driver didn't do it. And, you know, what, here, what, what happens? If you, if you don't have proof, video proof, that it wasn't your fault, you are a moving target for every slip and fall lawyer in the country to sue you because you can't, you can't prove it wasn't your fault necessarily. Now, if you have video showing that it wasn't your driver's fault, you know, there still may be some costs, obviously, but the nuclear many, many, many millions of dollars for injuries and perhaps a fatality or things such as that, you really reduce that just dramatically. And that's one thing. That's what really drove video technology. Then along came the camera on the driver. Well, now you've really put another whole question about video. There's a lot of good things you can get from having the camera on the driver, but then there's a lot of downside to that. There's a lot of pushback from the drivers themselves. A statistic that I use, which is not that common in knowledge, but I think large fleets know it, about 50% of the top 100 fleets don't record the driver. They only record forward-facing. And the other 50% record the driver. Now, you know, what are the benefits to recording the driver? Well, it's, you know, there's, there's reducing risky driving, particularly a couple of things, because now we've got artificial intelligence on a lot of cameras, uh, like we do with our video protect system with JJ Keller. We can tell if a driver is about to fall asleep, called sleepy driving, right? That can notify either audibly in cab, the driver, you know, falling asleep, or as well as with our system, we can actually notify the back office with a, with a video clip of that in near real time. That's, that's, that's probably the most, the a number one most dangerous thing is for a driver to be falling asleep. But then there's also the cell phone issue. That's that those are one and two. That's about 80% of the issues today uh, you know driver correction yeah you know is the driver paying attention is he distracted is he eating or he or she eating or are they you know what are they doing when they're driving down the road but it's the fatigue and cell phone and with artificial intelligence now you can immediately know that and that that is a very good thing so Technology is making is making should should be making the roads safer, and a lot of fleets are willing to spend money because they actually save money by not being in accidents, and their drivers are being coached to drive safer. 
So when you factor in, you know, the last 15 minutes and you think about the amount of available data through the, 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 the systems now and the improved technology on the trucks themselves, the, the challenges with driver sat and the turnover that goes along with that, but the remaining significance of risk management and the like, and the, you know, the introduction of AI in a variety of different levels. I mean, can, you know, computer vision has been around for a long time and you guys are using it to, to deal with, you know, what's happening in a cab or what's happening in front. But, but you look at all the di- those things that kind of all meld together, it just screams for, for the use case of self-driving trucks, doesn't it? Well, I have to be very careful here because I have some opinions of my own, so I'll have to be fair about this and put some questions out about self-driving trucks. So let's start out, I guess, initially on the self-driving world. was I, There's a lot of money being spent on it. There's a lot of emphasis on it. The largest companies in transportation and OEMs out there and technology companies that focus on AI and self-driving cars I would say there's many, many, many billions of dollars being spent on this. And I kind of come at it, this is me personally now, but I think it's fair to say that the industry is skeptical about this. From a a balanced perspective, I guess you would ask questions like, if there's not a driver, then who makes the decision, right? Right. If you're a fan of the old Star Trek series, like I was, the original series, there's a number of episodes that where the computer, once it was given the ability to think like a person and make decisions make on, based on reason, it doesn't necessarily work out the way a lot of us think. So you can program a lot of things into artificial intelligence and into self-driving vehicles. True. You can tell the vehicle to stay in this road, uh, on this lane in the road, don't go over the lines, don't do this. But it's only as good as the programming put into it, right? But I talked to a professor from uh, Baylor University about this. And I asked him about this. I said, what are your thoughts on self-driving vehicles and computers being programmed to, be, to make these kind of decisions? And he said something to me that I haven't forgotten. He said, look, he said, every single second of any trip is different than any other trip. So our our brains as humans are are focused on processing in real time. And what, what do we do? We base into it moral decisions, legal, ethical. What have we been trained? So we, we combine I guess we could say we make decisions based on our soul, right? You know, can you transfer that to artificial intelligence and to self-driving cars and vehicles? I think it's a big question mark. I think that's what everybody's trying to prove right now. But for example, if, if I was in a tractor trailer and I was approaching an intersection and I wasn't driving it, it was being driven by artificial intelligence. And I went into a tailspin or a, let's say I was jackknifing or I was on slick road. It's at that moment, the, I mean, this is one of many, many, many examples you can think of, but this, in this particular scenario, let's just say the class A tractor is doing a, is jackknifing and is starting to slide down the road. Well, the, 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 the truck can take 
two or three or four different options, right? To avoid this or that. Maybe there's maybe there's some children on a corner. Maybe grandma's across the street. Maybe there's uh, somebody walk. Somebody's got two dogs. They're walking. Maybe there's a Lamborghini on the other side of the road. What what type of decision does automation make at that point? You know, what life is worth more than the next life, et cetera. I mean, these are just the kind of challenges that come into play if we're going to have fully autonomous vehicles driving down the road. And it's we're trying to make it happen. But I find it interesting that today, and this is something for your listeners to consider, the most, most if not all, of the current automated autonomous vehicle testing is taking place in either Arizona or California. And why is that? That's because the sun's out all the time and there's no weather conditions they have to deal with. Well, in the real world, if you're going cross country or you're going through town or you're, you know, you're driving on the road, if you're, if you have an automated, you know, autonomous vehicle, it's going to have to deal with uh, weather conditions, ice and slush, muddiness on, in, on your windshield or on the cameras, because it's the cameras that are picking all this up. Somebody brought up something recently. I'm from Minnesota, where we consider the mosquitoes like the, it's the state bird. <laughs> there you go. Right? So you can drive down the road for two miles and your whole, all your headlights and your windshield can be full of bugs. Well, that's a tough spot to be in if you're an automated vehicle. So there's just, I bring these couple of points up just as a, there literally are hundreds of these type of moral, legal, ethical, weather-based you know, scenarios that could happen with autonomous. So today we're looking at it from sort of a, a, a rainbow perspective. Wouldn't this be nice? Maybe it will. But technology is, is really, really, really in its infancy to, for us all to have confidence that we could pull up next to an 18-wheeler driving down the road that didn't have any driver in it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's an overnight thing. I think, though, that the fact that it's close to a trillion dollars in gross freight revenues means somebody's going to want to figure it out. Right. And I think that that's why the explanations and I think you know you bring up a lot of the good points, um, many of which are, are being actively worked. Right. When you, you combine a couple of the uh, different AI ML paradigms, right, you start using anomaly detection, you know, so you have these massive amounts of data, you will be able to. The systems algorithmically will be able to make decisions. They won't be moral or value based, right? But they'll be they'll be things that you know can process at the speed of a human at some point in time, right? And I think that and there's you know changing the the to lidar sensors. I mean, there's a lot of different things that I think will make it. So it's it's a uh, inevitable is probably too strong a word, but there's a there's a pretty massive incentive for people to try and figure it out, right? And to, just to carry on with that for a moment, I do see some of the initial autonomous vehicles doing dedicated lanes, for example, maybe out West, there's some that are doing the, I forget the term right now, but it's where there's a fleet of maybe seven trucks that are closely pairing right next to each other. And if they're in a dedicated lane, or maybe they're in a, a lane that is cordoned off for certain areas, that or if they're like, a, I don't know if you saw like recently, the Domino's has the automated pizza delivery vehicle. Well, that goes pretty slow. I think it's got a light that flashes. 
and if people can get out of the way, I think it's fine. And it clearly lets everybody know it's it's autonomous. That's probably where we're going to break in to start. I mean, we've got we now have uh, driver assist technology, or uh, you know, I can in my new Ford F one fifty, I can drive down the highway and put it on cruise control and put my lane control on there, and literally, if I wanted to, literally, I could. So I have my hands on the wheel. I could close my eyes and that thing is going to stay in that lane and it's going to slow down if something is coming in front of it. So we're, we're moving that direction, you know, ever so slowly, but I think it's a brave new world. I, I think you're right. We will see this start to come in now and it's really going to be based on state and local governments and federal, really state governments are going to say, okay, we're going to let you do this in this area. And, you know, Arizona's done some uh, quite a bit of that, and so has yeah. California. Yeah, there's a little Texas, there's a little Michigan. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's going to come down to that level. So, well, you've been incredibly generous with your time here today. As we end, I, I like to bring in uh, more of a personal question, and it's kind of funny. It's the same one I ask uh, everybody, but it, it, it lends itself to the way we started before we hit the record button. And um, when the day is over and um, you want to wind down a little bit, what kind of music do you listen to? <laughs> Well, I'm a, you know, I'm a very, I've gone from uh, hard rock, classic rock in my younger days to today. I'm much more easy listening and uh, things that, because life is so complicated today. It is not a problem at all to get completely spun up in technology today on your smartphone or on the computer or on your TV, because there's just infinite choices. So today... I intentionally turn the phone off and dinner and for most of the evening so I'm not distracted and I can spend time with my family. And we choose not to watch a bunch of controversial stuff at night to get us all super cranked up, but we're more more family-oriented entertainment. And actually, the idea that um, we go back to more human one-on-one interaction with our, particularly with our family members. We want to talk to each other. We don't want to be texting things across the room to each other, those type of things. So it technology is wonderful, really helps us cutting edge. We all use it today, but it's not a replacement for personal relationships. So that to me is what life's all about at the end of the day. Sometimes the best music is no music at all. At, no, you got it right there too. I'm, I actually enjoy being over the dinner table with nothing on. And we just talk. So that's great. I'm on your side on that one. Michael, thank you for your time. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. After a great conversation with Michael, here are some of the key takeaways that Paul and I think listeners can take from their conversation. First, the transportation industry has been an integral part of keeping North America running smoothly throughout the pandemic. Trucking companies continue delivering the goods and services we needed despite the global shutdowns, which ultimately rescued communities across the country. As a result, the perception of the industry has shifted dramatically and overall incomes have gone up. Second, to remain successful and profitable, companies need to be flexible and dynamic enough to keep up with the rapid pace of changes we're seeing today. The transportation industry has reinvented itself as a result of the pandemic to keep up with things like compliance standards and hours of service. Technology and regulations are consistently dialing up in transportation, 
which is why companies like JJ Keller need to stay on top of the changes. Third, one of the major challenges the industry presents are regulatory requirements and the attention to detail needed to keep up with reporting logs. Michael mentioned that this is one area where the use of technology is critical. It's up to companies like JJ Keller to bring a complicated process down to earth and ultimately help trucking companies remain profitable by taking full advantage of the latest tech available. Fourth, customer satisfaction is number one in the transportation industry. However, the trucking sector has been experiencing a shortage of drivers for years and an extremely high turnover rate, soaring up to 100 or 150% each year, according to Michael. As a result, the question of retaining drivers has been another major challenge facing the trucking industry recently. Finally, with the progression of technology in recent years, smaller trucking companies have been given a fighting chance to keep up with larger companies. Not only has technology streamlined and automated the entire process, but it's also become much more cost-effective and sophisticated, which has leveled the playing field for all companies in the industry. Michael noted technology is closely linked to the transportation field today. So for those companies hoping to succeed in the industry, they need to be up to date on the latest tech. One example of this is video technology. Michael mentioned if trucking companies don't have proper video cameras on each truck, they're only one accident away from a nuclear lawsuit. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you liked this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.